You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. This is probably one of the reasons why they agreed to Ishbosheth ruling over them as the king in the north. It was since the Philistines had overrun many of the other cities of Israel, they were even more hesitant to come out and out for David. Now, why was that? Because they thought if they gotten behind uh, David, this would only infuriate uh, the Philistines and make them mad. Following God's will is going to make people mad. It will create some enemies. That shouldn't be your goal, but it's a natural byproduct of doing the right thing. The thing that God calls you to. There are many out there who have put their own agendas or the agendas they believe in over God's will and design for humanity. As Pastor Mike will warn in today's message, when you come along and demonstrate a life that puts God first, it's going to create conflict and you'll find yourself under attack. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 2 as he continues his message, The King of Judah. Let's pick up now in chapter 2. Let's go on and read verses 4 through 7. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told, so obviously this was the next step in God's plan. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. Remember, the Philistines, after their battle and after they killed uh, Saul and his sons, uh, they beheaded David, uh, rather Saul, and then they pinned the bodies of Saul and his sons to the walls of the cities of the Philistines, you know, making a mockery uh, of them. It was sort of like a, uh, I guess, uh, what would you refer, like a trophy uh, that they had taken in their battle against uh, the Israelites. And news had come back to the inhabitants, the, the valiant men, and that's the way that we were introduced to them, that lived in the city of Jabesh-Gilead. And so by night, they went into that city. They stole the bodies. They brought them back. Uh, They burnt the bodies, buried the bones, remember? And uh, so the valiant men of uh, Jabesh-Gilead. So here, David is addressing uh, this company of valiant men. And they told David, saying, the men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. And so David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and there's a purpose in this, I'll get to it in a moment, and said to them, you are blessed of the Lord. 
for you have shown the kindness to your Lord, to Saul, and have buried them. And now, remember, Saul, you know, in spite of all of his disobedience, he was still God's anointed. And uh, so they were not only making a mockery of Saul, but they were also making a mockery of God who anointed Saul as king over Israel. So we need to think of it in that way as well. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also will repay you this kindness because you have done this thing, rescuing their bodies and burying them. Now therefore let your hands be strengthened and be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over uh, them. Now, we don't know exactly how long it took for the men of Judah to decide to make David their king. But they realize that they are leaderless with Saul's death. And they fear that they will be powerless to resist the Philistines if they try to seize their land. So they're probably thinking, we need someone to rally us together. Someone who is capable in battle. Someone who is a unifier. And guess who that person was? It was David. So obviously, they decide to break away from their brethren in the north, and they appoint their own leader. Well, after the men of the different towns and villages approach David with their request to be their new king, he accepts, and they anoint him king over Judah. And let me tell you something. This was no walk in the park. And I don't, I don't personally believe that this is exactly what David was looking for nor did he expect. Because the reality was, in accepting, David conferred upon the people of Judah a greater honor than they bestow upon him. I mean, if you think about it, really, what did David have to gain by accepting that position? There's no pomp and circumstance. I, I, I would imagine that David was expecting that. I'm going to be the next king over Israel. Certainly there would have been uh, some pomp and circumstance, some kind of a ceremony uh, to induct him as the next king over uh, Israel. But there's an absence of that. The kingdom at that time, Judah, is small. The problems he will face are out of proportion to the size of the realm. And then also the people of Judah were notorious for their vacillation because they were easily intimidated by their enemies. So listen, this was a difficult job that David was about to assume as their king. Okay, so that begs the question then, why did David accept? Well, far from what, he, again, considering that this was far from what he had imagined. Now, why would we accept an invitation to do whatever we've been asked to do, right? And it may be some difficult kind of a task. Uh, maybe here in the church, uh, one of the pastors will ask you to take up uh, a ministry or to develop a new ministry. And uh, you know that's going to involve a lot of time, a lot of energy. Uh, it's going to involve also uh, sacrifice. So why would you even consider accepting that kind of an invitation? Well, why did David accept that invitation? Well, there was that inner assurance that he was in the perfect will of God. And he also knew that to accept that invitation was better than any pageantry or lavish functions or impressive crowds. 
He was doing what he did because he believed that this was what God had called him to do. And so listen, if you ever ask, you know, so-and-so, would you please consider getting involved in this ministry or developing that kind of a ministry or at your place of employment and your employer ask you to do this or that, please take that into consideration. That should definitely be a part of the equation. Is this God's will for me? Is this God's next step? Is this what God wants me to uh, do? And that's the very reason why David accepted that invitation. Now, I want, to, I want to bring you back to verse 4. Let's go back to verse 4 for a moment. There's something else that I want to show you here. In verse 4, we're told that the men of Judah came and they anointed David king. Now, wait a second. David has already been anointed as Israel's king, wasn't he? You know, going back several months ago in our studies in the book of 1 Samuel, he was anointed by Samuel as the next king over Israel because Saul had disobeyed the Lord. So what's going on here? Was it even necessary for David to be anointed once again? You know, it's been suggested that this shows that there is a sense in which the first anointing, that is the, being anointed by Samuel the prophet, wasn't enough. You see, we need a fresh anointing from God and an ongoing experience walking and yielding to the work of God's Holy Spirit within our lives. And, there, and that was absent for a period of time in David's life, right? As I had just suggested a little while ago. And this anointing, anointing, this fresh anointing, couldn't come while David still lived among the Philistines, among the uncircumcised. And remember, I've been careful to mention that, that phrase, uncircumcised, and that was the way that the Jews would refer to the Philistines. It wasn't a racial slur but it was rather just the acknowledgement that they did not have a covenant relationship with God. Remember, circumcision represented their covenant with God, Israel's covenant with God. And so that's the way that they referred to the Philistines and other nations, surrounding nations as well, as the uncircumcised. So this anointing couldn't come when David still lived among the Philistines, worked among the Philistines, joined together with the Philistines. And I want you to think about this in our own relationship. You know, maybe we've stepped out of, you know, the fellowship of the saints and in our dwelling among our own Philistines, the uncircumcised, those who, are, who don't have a covenant relationship with God, the unbelievers, the worldlings. And thus, guess what? we can possibly lose the anointing that God has bestowed upon us. You see, David had to get things right once again in his own walk before, uh, uh, with the Lord before this anointing could come once again upon him. And listen, I hope none of us have forfeited our anointing living among our own Philistines, that is the uncircumcised, the unbelievers, the uh, worldlings. I want you to think about that. You know, having that anointing is so very, very important. You know, it enables us to do things that are supernatural, right? Beyond our own capacities. And listen, you know, life's experiences at times can be extremely difficult. And we need that anointing of God. You know, God just being with us, his hand upon us, going before us, doing things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. So anyway, I just wanted to uh, draw your attention to that fact. And I believe that's the, one of the reasons why he was re-anointed. Now, let's go back. Let me comment on what had just taken place. 
So upon hearing of the bravery, notice, of the men of Jabesh-Gilead, remember I told you that we go back to this, David reaches out to them. In fact, that was the first order of business as the new king over Judah, and it's recorded for us in verses 5 and 6. We've already read that. And this served as an invitation for the inhabitants of the city of Jabesh-Gilead, all of the valiant men, to join David, to join forces with him. But I want you to also notice there in verses 5 and 6, when he addresses those men, David is very respectful. He's very respectful of their autonomy. And he doesn't come on strong. And he doesn't make any demands of them. Listen, you join me or you're the enemy. And we're going to come against you. No, there's an absence of that. And so he doesn't come on strong, and he makes no demands of them. Now, on David's part, this was a very good move. Because David knows if he is to expel the Philistines from Israel's borders, he will need the help of all of the tribes. So he's probably thinking if Jabesh Gilead gets on board, then the other tribes will follow. But Abner, who we're about to be uh, once again introduced to, remember Abner was Saul's general, has other plans. And in verses 8 through 11, we now read, let's go ahead and read those verses. Let's pick up now in verse 8. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, was uh, Saul's general, took uh, Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him to Mahanaim. Now, uh, and notice uh, there, and in verse 9, and he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. And Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. And only the house of Judah followed David. Now, this is the first time that this other son of Saul, Ishbosheth, is mentioned in the Bible. And why was that? And, and, you know, remember in the previous chapters, we were told that Saul was killed on the battlefield going up against the Philistine, he, Jonathan, and his other two sons. But there's no mention of this younger son whose name was Ishbosheth. And uh, so this is the first mention of him. And probably, and it's been suggested that the reason for that was that this son was an illegitimate son, born to one of Saul's concubines. And uh, remember back then, uh, the Jews believed, and this was the order of the day, if you can imagine that, that there was to be three women in any uh, Jew's life. The first woman was to, uh, to bear the husband's legitimate children. The second woman was uh, to be used as a servant, more or less sort of like a slave to take care of the household and those sorts of things. And then the third woman in a Jew's life was to be for pleasure. And, uh, and that would be the concubine. And so anyway, so three and that was just a popular practice in those uh, days, the three women in a, a Jew's uh, life. So anyway, it's been suggested that this fellow Ishbosheth was uh, an illegitimate son of Saul's, and uh, he was the uh, son of one of Saul's concubines. Well, anyway, I just wanted to mention that. 
So this served uh, here in uh, this, this verse here, but Abner, Saul's general, has other uh, plans. Okay, so verses 8 through 11. Okay, now there's something else that I wanted to draw your attention to uh, here. And that is, now it, it seems strange, if you think about it, that many of the tribes of uh, Israel preferred Ishbosheth to David. Now, why was that? You think that they would have all rallied behind David at this time. Yet, since, and this is probably one of the reasons why they agreed to Ishbosheth ruling over them as the king in the north. It was since the Philistines had overrun many of the other cities of Israel, they were even more hesitant to come out and out for David. Now, why was that? Because they thought if they gotten behind uh, David, this would only infuriate uh, the Philistines and make them mad. Now, you know, in a similar way, let's bring this down to personal terms. I want you to think about this. In a similar way, if you will come out and out for the son of David, there may be an analogy here for us to consider. You know, if you and I come out uh, for the son, come out and out, and, you know, just be really upfront about our commitment to Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. For the son of David, who is Jesus, right? You have to be ready for the disapproval of the Philistines who live around us today. And, and I was just wondering, you know, as I was just writing down and putting some extra notes in my message and stuff. And so I think some Christians are silent about their Christianity because of this very thing. Uh, they're more concerned about what other people might say, what, might, what some other people might think, you know, if we're really upfront about our Christianity, if we're just out and out, straightforward about our relationship with God, that we've, been, been a, uh, that we've accepted uh, Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, and thus they remain in the closet. Have you ever heard that expression before, closet Christians? Yeah, I, I, there are some that are... I don't, I don't know if that's a correct term or not. I don't know how you can be a Christian and you know, fall into that category of being a, a, uh, a closet Christian. But, but what was the reason? And I think that they were afraid what the Philistines might do to them or think about them. So I want you to just think about that in your own experience. You know, the people at your places of employment know that you're a Christian. Do other members of your family, your immediate family, know that you're, you're upfront about your testimony in Jesus Christ? Well, anyway, just something that I wanted to draw your attention to, something that I wanted you to think about and consider. Well, anyway, in the north, Abner, having the elders of the people behind him, take Ishbosheth, Saul's youngest son, and crowns him king over Israel there in the north. But really what is going on here? Notice he only ruled for two years. Abner is setting up a puppet regime. He is the one, that is Abner, who is in control. He's probably seeking his own ends here. I mean, he knew God's choice was David, and yet he took a course of action, action diametrically opposed to what he knew was right. He knew that God had chosen David to be the next king. And listen, gang, let me tell you something. There is plenty of Abners out there today. You say, what am I referring to? Well, there are people in business, people in law, people in government, 
people in the arts and entertainment industry, in education, who deliberately formulate plans, make policy, engage in activities, teach materials with no thought of the ethical ramifications of their actions, resulting in the moral and ethical breakdown of our society. They take no thought of that. So Abner, unmoved by the solemn testimony of God that David was God's next anointed to be king, unmoved by the sad proceedings at Endor, remember in 1 Samuel, uh, Saul had forfeited uh, God's being with him, and uh, so he makes his appeal to the witch at Endor, remember, seeking to ascertain God's will uh, for him. He is unmoved by the doom of Saul and his sons, who were then killed on the battlefield on Mount Geboa, the miserable state of the kingdom as it existed during this time. They had been humiliated by the Philistines, and nevertheless, in spite of all of these things, he insists on Ishbosheth. Do you see that? That's who Abner was. Now, in verse 12, let's go back to our text. In verse 12, we are going to discover the term went out or to go out. And I want you to know before we read that, that this is a military term. And it implies a planned military operation. So let's go ahead and read verse 12. Now Abner and the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Manahim to Gibeon. So Abner, as the head of a strong contingent, proposes to invade the tribe of Judah and bring the people under the rule of Ishbosheth. But then notice Joab, who is now the commander of David's army, with an inferior force, a lesser number of men, intercepts Abner at the location at Gibeon. Let's pick up now in verse 13. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. And so they sat down one on one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. Now this pool was located just outside the borders of Judah. It was, according to uh, historical accounts, it was five and a half miles north of the city of Jerusalem. Uh, only a large reservoir, this pool, that's the reference, this pool is more like a reservoir, was 37 feet in diameter, and it separated these two forces. And it was there that this contest that we're about to read about took place. And its outcome would be the right to rule the kingdom, both in the north as well as in the south. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for tuning in. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. 
You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. And we're praying for you. Thanks again for joining us today. And we look forward to our continuing study of 2 Samuel next time, right here on In My Father's House. There's a place for